Okay, I for one really enjoyed last week and the meal and just, it's such a great image for me. It's a far better image to keep in my head of what the church is about than actually than the image of how we, we usually set up. I really, really like that image of sharing together with each other, facing each other, enjoying each other, eating together, laughing. I really like that. So this morning, I'm going to, before we start, I'm going to pray, and then we'll talk about celebration in terms of how that works with eating and drinking with Jesus. So let's pray, please. Father, I pray that the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth would be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I was thinking about this a, a sermon on celebration and food, although it's probably far more about celebration, I looked up celebration in the Old Testament and found that there are dozens of words that are used when describing celebration. It was really hard to pin down a word in Hebrew that was like, this is the word for celebration. So since I couldn't find something really specific in the Old Testament, I went to Greek and I looked up in Greek the word for celebration used in the New Testament. And to, to, well, I was delighted to find this image of celebration from the word in Greek. And the image is basically the word well or good combined with the word midriff. Midriff. And I'm like, well, good midriff. That's celebration? And then more I thought about it, the more I thought, where do you laugh from? Right here, a good belly laugh. Where do you fit? What do you fill up when you're eating together? Right here. What do you, uh, what do you yell and celebrate and sing out with all you've got? Where does it come from? It comes from right here again, right in the middle. And maybe if you dance, you know, maybe that's kind of the center of your dancing. I'm not going to dance anymore up here. Whew, that was tough. Okay. Maybe go down for the splits. <laughs> Do the splits. All right. Get back in line. What's going on? So, good midriff. I thought, what a great root image for celebration. Good midriff right here in the center. In fact, in, in Scripture, you could say that if you say, where does the soul reside? The soul resides here. The result, soul resides here in your gut. When they talk about the heart in the Old Testament, they're talking about here, this middle part of who you are, and not so much about the head. So this morning, I'm going to take that image and I hope to expand it and use it in different ways to talk about celebration. And I hope to, of course, throw in some stories of how I've experienced this. But if, if we think of celebration is in the middle, or celebration in between, in between what has come before and what is coming after. Celebration, what come before and what's coming after. So 
We're in between, as it, theologically, they call it the, the already and the not yet. So how do we celebrate when we're in the already and not yet? How do we celebrate in between? I want to talk about that. So the first in between that I thought of is how do we celebrate between, in between Babel and the New Jerusalem? Remember the Tower of Babel is one humanity got together and decided that they would show that they're as powerful as God and they would build a tower to the heavens. And God stopped the whole thing by confusing our languages, by making us speak different languages and from different cultures. We used to live in, in a community in San Diego that I've talked about before called Ronald Court. When we were at Ronald Court, uh, we were there a couple different times. The second time we were at Ronald Court, we lived on this small cul-de-sac with six other families. And two of the families, well, one single guy and another family, were from Germany. They were from Germany, Klaus Peter and Magda. And they lived next door to us. And one of the things that uh, you need to... you may know about me or you need to know about me is that I'm a first-generation American, and I was raised by a father from Czechoslovakia, although it's no longer called that. And so you can imagine the dose of anti-German sentiment that I grew up with, because my father, in his teenage years, from 11 years old on, was forced to do things by the Nazis like dig trenches and things like that. So there was a, a very much a hatred for Germans. And my dad would watch a lot of movies and would always say, those dirty krauts. And, yeah, and he would be yelling this stuff while he was watching the movies. And I'm growing up with this. So, well, years later, after my father is already dead, and here I am in this community with Germans, you know, a, a Czech first generation boy is living and celebrating with people from Germany. And that's the good news of the gospel. And one, one, uh, this really came home one Thanksgiving, uh, in this duplex, we lived on this side cause Peter Magda lived on this side. And the, we, uh, the, the common wall between us was the garages. So we had our two garages and we shared a wall with the garage. Well, we decided one Thanksgiving, that we would tear down the wall between our garages so that we would have a space big enough to celebrate a huge Thanksgiving. And so we tore down the wall between our garages and we put a ping pong table in the middle of, of those two garages. And then we went out and invited lots of other people. So I went and at the time I was speaking and, and, and talking to or uh, dealing with a lot of crack addicts in downtown San Diego. So I went down there and invited some of them to Thanksgiving. And other people went and invited other people, and we all came together for this huge meal. And as we're sitting there celebrating around food, celebrating God's kingdom, it was, it was pretty amazing that with my history, I was sitting next to someone from Germany who I loved and really treasured. And then also I was sitting next to someone who could, in, in some other setting, be a real threat to me a crack addict, or someone else. And, and it was just a huge meal expressing the, 
the in-between, that we were in Babel, but we're moving toward the new Jerusalem. And so we want our celebrations to look like the new Jerusalem. We don't want them to look like Babel. We remember where we came from, but we know where we're going. And so in this day, right now, we can celebrate. A little while uh, later, uh, I was in seminary, and I thought of a, uh, and there was a time uh, where I was getting to know the scriptures, and I was making friends in the seminary, and uh, I had a friend named Barry, and Barry is, is a really good image for this next type of celebration, because what I would call it, the next celebration is being between broken and being made new. Being between broken and being made new. Barry was not a Christian for very long. Even though he was in seminary, he had only been a Christian for a few years. He had come later in life. But Barry had lived a completely crazy lifestyle before that. And Barry had come down with AIDS. And this is in the 80s. And Barry knew he didn't have a long time to live. Well, he started getting to know a single mother who was also in the seminary named Marcia. And Barry and Marcia really hit it off. And Marcia had two daughters. And eventually, Barry and Marcia decided that they would get married. It seemed like a crazy thing because Barry probably would only live one or two years. And it just seemed so crazy, but it seemed like a real celebration of moving from being broken to being new. It seemed to say to the world, this is what the new world, the new kingdom is about. In Revelation 21, Starting in verse 1, it says this, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city and the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things, the broken, has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I am making everything new. When we celebrate, this is part of what we celebrate, that God is making everything new. And Barry and Marcia knew that. And so they decided to get married. And so we, they had their wedding at the seminary. And it was one of the most meaningful celebrations that I have ever been to 
because we were worshiping God in that wedding. Usually at weddings, they'll have communion and the bride and the groom will take communion. But at this wedding, everybody took communion together. Everybody worshiped together. Everybody stood up for them. Everybody knew them. Barry did die a couple years later. But that's not the end of Barry's story. Someday, I'll be able to ask Barry, how is this new kingdom? How is this new Jerusalem? How are you new? How do you feel? So celebration is moving from Babel to New Jerusalem. Celebration is moving from broken to a new person. And celebration is also moving from poverty to riches. Now, a lot of us think that we are rich in this world. Or you might not think you're rich, but we as Americans are the richer people in this world. And yet compared to the riches that God has awaiting us, our riches are filthy, filthy rags. Someday you will see, you'll go, guy, how could I dress myself? How could I live in that filth? But now we might see it as something rich and wealthy. And the ways that we can get in touch with this is by celebrating in between poor and rich and celebrating with those who are poor. In Luke chapter 14, it has this passage of scripture. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will re be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When I was teaching seminary in Yucatan, I was teaching a class on hermeneutics and exegesis. How do you discover the meaning of a passage of scripture? How do you you look at it so that you can understand it. How do you, and we were looking up the origin of the Greek words and the Hebrew, and we were doing exegesis. But one day I came to class with this passage, and I said to the students, you know, we're not going to study this with our books at all. We're going to take this passage of Scripture and see what we can learn by doing this. We're just going to do this. And so we decided as a group, as a class, that we would throw a party for the poor and the lame and the blind. And fortunately, or unfortunately, in Mexico, one of the places that you can find all of those people is down in the central square of the city. So we went down to the central square of Merida, and there's lots of people begging who are blind and lame and poor, and they're begging for money. And so we planned this whole party we, uh, we went around the week before. We went down to the central square and we invited all these people who were begging. It was like, we're going to have a huge party. It's going to be food. It's going to be music. There's going to be decorations. We're going to have fun. And that's all we're going to do. 
we're going to have this great party. And so we invited about 50 people that we found down there. Then the next week, we rented a hall in downtown, right next to the square. We rented a hall, and we, we, everybody made food, so we had all this food. We put up all these decorations, had somebody who brought music, and we're like, okay, this is fantastic. We've got all this food, music, and decoration. We've got this hall. For, for, we're ready for these 50 people. And so we, we went out into the streets to find these people. And one after another, they started saying, oh, no, I, I can't come, or I don't, no, I don't want to come. Or After all of our effort, we ended up with three people who were coming to a party for 50 people. And then we, there was one drunk guy laying on the sidewalk in front of the room. We got the drunk guy up, and we brought him into the party, and he staggered in. And, and halfway through the party, he stood up, and he gives this, this drunk benediction over all of us and everything. And, but for the most part, I, I had thought, I was thinking, wow, why did I do this? This wasn't a celebration. We failed. We failed. And I was really like, oh, no, what are my students going to say when we get back to class on Monday? So we went back to class on Monday, and I said, okay, we did this. We didn't study it. What did you learn from this passage by doing it? And one of my students raised his hand. He said, he said Mr. Z, well, he said, danza spulka which is my name from down there. You dance the polka was what they called me. <laughs> Danzas polka. I don't know how I got that nickname, but um, anyway, he raised his hand. He said, says, I, he said, I'll tell you what I learned. I learned that unless I am friends with those people, unless I make friends with those people, they will never trust me enough to come to, our, to my party because they have been so abused and misused and lied to, and, and they will never trust me unless I'm their friend. I almost broke down, which isn't hard for me to do, of course, but I never thought that they would get something so valuable from that passage of Scripture. That when we celebrate, we need to seek out and befriend the poor because the poor have something very rich to give us. And in the day when we are all in the, in the judgment, the poor are going to stand up for us, be, and they're going to say, they celebrated with me. They were with me. They befriended me. So a huge part of what it means to be eating and drinking with Jesus is to be eating and drinking with the poor and the maimed and the blind and the disabled. A few uh, weeks ago or months ago, Ryan did a series on empire and kingdom. Excellent, excellent series that said, hey, we are in a different time now as Christians. We are in a different time. We're no longer the main religion of the empire. We're no longer guided by the empire. We are now 
being set aside from the empire. We are a separate people from the empire. And, and Ryan said, we are seeking the kingdom. We no longer seek the empire. Yeah, we, sing, we seek its peace, but we seek the kingdom. We seek the kingdom. I think this next story will be not only a story, but a challenge to us of how can we celebrate in a way that is between empire and kingdom, where we're walking away from empire and walking toward kingdom? How can we celebrate in that way? Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 says this, For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We are a people that are citizens of somewhere else, we may be citizens of the United States, but we are first and foremost citizens of God's kingdom. And we are going that direction, even if the empire is going the direction of destruction and shame and gluttony, we are going the direction of the kingdom of God. We believed strongly in this when I lived in a community in San Francisco called Sojourners. And we wanted to figure out and come up with a celebration that would point towards the kingdom and, and not just be part of the empire. So we decided on every 4th of July, we did decided to do a celebration we called Yahweh's Kingship. And on Yahweh's Kingship, we would eat a huge meal together. We would worship together. We would play games together. A lot of times we had this thing called the No Talent Talent Show, which a lot of, you see in a lot of places. And we just enjoy each other. And then afterwards, we'd go out to the fireworks. It wasn't like, oh, we're against fireworks. So, oh, you know, that's bad stuff. We would go out to the fireworks. But what we mostly celebrated on the 4th was Yahweh's kingship. Maybe we could come up with celebrations like that. It doesn't have to be the fourth, but something that points us away from the empire and toward the kingdom. God has the power and Jesus takes control of all things. Those who trust in horses and chariots, they do not trust in the Lord. That's what it says in the Psalm 20, verse 7. And Isaiah, Isaiah puts it this way, and I'll update it. Those who trust in alliances 
and bombers and technology and armies and training do not trust in the Holy One of Israel. We have to show that what we trust in is what's going to be permanent and lasting, and that is God's power, not the empire's power. Finally, I want to talk about uh, something probably a lot of, some of you have been going through and, and will go through this year. Um, one of the places that we can be in the in-between and be celebrating is between death and life, death and life. When we lived in the community in Sojourners, we had a couple leaders who were just 60, one, one was maybe 62 and the other one was 60. And one of the leaders uh, got sick and died, just died. And we were stunned as a community. And we wanted to understand not only his death and what that meant for us as a grieving community, but we also wanted to understand the resurrection. Because if there's anything different about us, it's that we believe in the resurrection. And so we didn't know what to do. We didn't know, we didn't, we knew we didn't want a regular funeral with a funeral home and go there and not be able to recognize the person because they're made up in a different way and, and have this little short service around it. So we decided that we would look into what can we do in terms of grieving and mourning as a community that will help us move from death to life. So we investigated very quickly and we talked to the funeral home and, and we said, can, can we make our own coffin? Can we make a coffin? And they're like, uh, well, we don't recommend it, but you, the law says you can do it. And then they handed us a sheet of 15 rules that you had to follow in making a coffin. And believe it or not, one of the <laughs> rules on the list was the body cannot fall out of the bottom of the coffin. <laughs> so we're like, well, well, yeah, like it's happened before or something, <laughs> maybe. So we said, well, we're going to make a coffin for, for John. We'll make him a coffin. We had no clue how to make a coffin. So all the men of the community, we went down in the workshop and we started working and we're like, okay, how are we going to keep it, John's body from falling out of the coffin? And we were crying and laughing at the same time, but we were grieving John's death. And yet we were telling stories about him. We were sharing. We decided to put these ropes that would loop here so you could stick a pole through it to carry the coffin with, and the rope would go down under the coffin. So even if the bottom started to fall out, he would be held up by the ropes. <laughs> you know? And we built this whole coffin. And the women, uh, not that the that they had to be, but the women were upstairs and they decided to take John's t-shirts. They took all of John, Don's t old t-shirts and they made a quilt out of his t-shirts and they were laughing and crying together. And then came the day we, they put John's body in the coffin and we put the quilt over him of the t-shirts and we had a worship service about the resurrection 
It didn't mean we didn't cry and we weren't sad and, and all of that, but it was another part to this. We were between death and life and we were walking toward life. And we actually asked if the, he had a, they had gotten a, a funeral plot like three hours away in a, a city in Northern California from San Francisco. And we asked, well, do we, have to, do we have to let you transport the body? And they're like, well, no, you could do it. So we got a pickup truck and we put the coffin in the back of the pickup truck and we're sitting in the back of the pickup truck along with John for three, three hours to the burial site. It was the best, one of the best celebrations that I have ever been to, and it was the best funeral by far that I have ever participated in. My son-in-law comes from a community called the Bruderhof, and they do things like this. His dad just died a few weeks ago, and he went there. They have the body sitting in one of the houses in a room, on a bed. They leave the body there for at least 48 hours for everybody to come and sit with him and grieve with him. And you will sit, and they, he said they sat there, they sat in silence, sometimes they sat telling stories, and his dad's body was there. Then they, made, they helped make the coffin. Then they dressed the body, and they picked up the body, and they put it in the coffin. And then they carried the body to the gravesite, which wasn't far. They walked down this dirt road, and they all carried the body down there to a grave that they had dug by themselves. They had dug the dirt, and they put the coffin in the grave, and they put boughs of... Uh, pine boughs and flowers on top of the coffin, and then they put the dirt over the coffin. I mean, and they did all of the praying and singing and, and so, uh, things around that. But he came back, and I was so jealous. I just like, that is the way to grieve the death of your father. That is, that is what grieving should be. We, as the church of God, have special abilities to celebrate we need to get those special powers, like, like uh, you know, superheroes. We need to get those special powers together and show the world what it really means to celebrate. John chapter 21 has this. After Jesus rose from the dead, he came and met the disciples, and Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. I can't wait till he says that to all of us. Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord, but he was different. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third day, third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. What does it mean to celebrate, to eat and drink with Jesus and, and, and our brothers and sisters? It means to move from Babel to the new Jerusalem and to celebrate on the way. It means to move from death 
to life. It means to move from poverty to riches. It means to move from empire to kingdom and celebrate on the way with each other as we eat and drink with Jesus. Let's pray.